Che passa, Mufasa, bom dia, buongiorno, ni hao, shalom, and salam aleikum. How's everyone doing today? Today we've got none other than Justin Wolf, co founder and CEO of New Brew Botanical Seltzers. New Brew is changing the way that people socialize together and commune. And I got to see them in action firsthand at a warehouse party in Miami where I imbibed not one but two of their kratom leaf and kava root extract seltzers of various fruit flavors. And above and beyond all that, the business model is awesome that they're working with. So we're gonna dive into that today and learn a little bit about this push away from the normalization of overconsumption of alcohol and group and social environments and towards something a little bit more holistic, a little bit more designed for deeper connection between people, not this surface level yelling over each other that many of us are familiar with in alcohol-fueled gatherings. This episode is brought to you by MicroBoost, mushroom supplements, M-Y-C-R-O-B-O-O-S-T, offering a range of mushroom supplements such as their famous mushroom coffee that you may have seen in Rolling Stone or their soft gel capsules, which I've got a number of right here in my hands. Yeah, that's turkey tail, reishi, and chaga in that blend in particular. Go ahead and check out mycroboost.com and please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Thank you as always for riding with me. Let's hear what Justin Wolf of New Brew has to say about it all. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, what's up, everybody? We've got Justin Wolf, the co-founder and CEO of New Brew, in the house today, calling in from Los Angeles. How's it going today in Southern California, Justin? It's going really well, man, and I'm super stoked to be here with you, Dennis. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So I was first exposed to New Brew out in Miami recently, and you all sponsored a party that we were at, and I got to experience the effects firsthand in a social situation, and I was very impressed with them overall. So we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts of why that is, but I'd be curious if you could start us off with talking a little bit about the impetus for why you launched New Brew in the first place and what it is you're hoping to do and to achieve with the company. Absolutely. Yeah, so New Brew was really born out of my personal journey away from alcohol. Um, I had a pretty destructive relationship with alcohol for a long time. I think when I was you know, younger and in the college years and some of the years after that, uh, it was more of like a party fun thing, but I realized as I got further into adulthood, um, and certainly when I got married and you know, starting to try to build a family here, um, that I was actually trying to numb myself with alcohol. And I was using it as a tool um, to self-medicate and solve for my own sort of treatment-resistant depression, which was a long-standing issue for me. Um, and it was really like, it became a more and more abusive relationship. And ultimately I decided uh, I needed to leave it behind entirely, which I did a little over two years ago. Um, once I did so, you know, it became clear to me in trying all of the alcohol alternatives in the market, you know, there's this whole non-alc category that's developed, like you see at the grocery store or the liquor store. Um, it became clear to me that most of these products don't provide a real effect to replace the effects of alcohol. For me, you know, I had a real issue with alcohol, but when I left it behind, I wasn't in pursuit of total abstinence, right? I still use psilocybin, cannabis here and there. I'm what a lot of people would call California sober, right? Like I, I've left behind alcohol, but I still like to shift my consciousness. I like to feel, um, you know, I, I like to have an experience, especially when I'm in a social setting. So 
you know, I was a little bummed out when I kept experimenting with all these different beverage products that I wasn't feeling anything. I think most of them are pretty placebo driven. Um, and, you know, wanting to experience that shift, I, I, I realized there wasn't something out there for me. I had to kind of go ahead and create it myself. Um, and it was just a maybe four or five months after that, that I was on vacation with my wife um, and stumbled into a kava bar. And they were serving mixtures of kava root and kratom leaf, which are the two ingredients uh, that we use in Nubru. Um, and I drank these, the mixture of the two plant medicines together in a coconut shell and I just felt it was a totally mind-blowing experience. I felt a lot of what you probably felt in Miami when we were hanging out, right? Very open-hearted, a little disinhibited, kind of the way you would with alcohol, but in no way sloppy at all. Like I, you don't feel inebriated, um, but you still feel open to others. You're very conversational. You're relaxed. The, the anxiety kind of drifts away, and you have this sort of like calm, balanced energy. So... Yeah, it was it was like a groundbreaking experience for me. And I realized like this is the effect that I think belongs in the ceremony of drinking as an alternative to the effects that alcohol provides, which are very different. Right. Um, and it just didn't exist like it, it didn't exist in a ready to drink beverage format here in the U.S. Um, so the light bulb went off. I, I immediately realized this is what I needed to do and set out. Uh, on a mission to create just that product and it became Nubru. Absolutely. And there definitely seems to be a point of diminishing returns with alcohol for a lot of people as you get older, right? When we're young spring chickens in college, the hangovers don't hit as hard. But I know I speak for a lot of people when I say that when you enter your 30s and you have a couple glasses of wine, you typically are going to feel a, a really strong hangover in a lot of ways, right? Like you, you don't bounce back the way you used to. But alcohol it's normalized as a social ceremony, right? So many of the different functions and events of social life all around the world traditionally revolve around al alcohol, right? It's the social lubricant. So there are a lot of people now looking to replace that. And I'd be curious if you could outline some of the reasons why kava and kratom work well together, because I think of them as being distinct substances. You know, I've been to Fiji, you do a kava ceremony. It's a huge part of the culture. I'm not as acclimated to kratom, but I know it's quite popular and I want to learn more about it from you. So why do those two ingredients or plant medicines work well together? And what led you to put those in new brew as opposed to any of the other new tropics that are entering the market? Yeah, uh, it is kind of crazy. They're, you know, plants from totally different parts of the world that just so happen to blend perfectly together. Um, I, I think the beauty of it is that with the kava root, you get uh, a feeling of relaxation, stress relief. It is sort of just a straight anti-anxiety medicine in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it'll chill you out. It'll give you a little bit of mild euphoria and sort of open you up a little bit. But it's super beautiful when it's paired with the kratom leaf because the kratom gives you a little bit of that energy. So you're not like quite as groggy. And, you know, you, you want when you're hanging out with people to feel uh, a little bit of like focus and, you know, you want to have an upbeat attitude, right? So the Kratom kind of blends well to give you that mixture of energy and calm together. Yeah. So speaking of Kratom, now that it's more popular than ever, there's also the potential risk of it being scheduled, right? And I noticed that there's an initiative, speaking about the Controlled Substances Act, there's an initiative that's linked on the new brew website to protect Kratom org and this of course 2023 is a pivotal year for american kratom consumers i've been hearing more about 
issues with sustainability, people telling me that I should look into the Kratom sourcing market, you know, in Indonesia or in these different parts of the world where, where it's sourced. So can you outline a little bit about the federal Kratom uh, Protection Act that's been filed and why that's important for people to pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Kratom uh, Consumer Protection Act, the KCPA, it's a piece of legislation that's gone into effect at the state level now in 11 different states, uh, most recently Texas and Florida. Um, and that puts into place just common sense regulations that we're very much in support of. So it'll it'll put in place age restrictions. In some states, it's 18 plus and others, it's 21 plus. It seems like it's kind of heading, heading in the 21 plus uh, direction, which is a good thing. Um, lab testing requirements, just basic, every, you know, any product that goes out there needs to be uh, third-party lab tested, not just the end product, but all the ingredients that go into the manufacturing process um, and labeling requirements, right? Like we need transparency and labeling. People need to not just know the amount of extract, for example, that's in a product, but what is the active, uh, you know, alkaloid composition of that extract? Like how, what is the feeling that you can expect to have when consuming that beverage? So these are really just basic standards that are in place and, and normally, uh, you know, put in place by the FDA. But because the FDA has refused to regulate Kratom itself, states have started to take it into their own hands. Um, and it's just this year that, uh, you know, the American Kratom Association and the advocacy groups that support and protect these plants are actually getting this up at the federal level, which is super exciting. Um, you know, I think ultimately that's what we need to make sure that the products that end up on the market are safe to consume, right? And that people are educated on them. They know what they're putting in their body. They know uh, even about the risks that are associated with the consumption, because it's not like this is a totally benign thing. Um, you know, you do need to be mindful of the way you consume it. You need to learn about it before you decide to consume it. So um, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, this is all a sort of counter movement to, uh, the movements in the past by the the DEA and the FDA to suppress adoption of these plants, right, and to try to criminalize them. Um, the DEA moved to schedule Kratom back in 2016 unsuccessfully. Um, there was a huge grassroots backlash against that and a lot of congressional su uh, support to keep the plant legal. So it's, it's a never-ending battle, just like it is with uh, cannabis or psilocybin, a lot of plant medicines, right? They are always under attack. The powers that be are, are not big fans of them because they provide real natural alternatives to synthetic medications, to alcohol, um, and a lot of things that are more toxic uh, for our bodies. So uh, it's it's a, a fight that we're joining as a young company, um, and it's a big part of what we do is, is the advocacy piece. That's huge. And good on you for getting ahead of that one. I think uh, transparency and standardization can be really good things, especially when it is driven by a grassroots advocacy measure rather than rolled out from the top down, which is what we've seen over the last 50 plus years with most of these natural compounds that people get excited about, which you just mentioned a few of them. Now, let's talk a little bit about how your background managing projects at Google has shaped your ability to successfully launch and scale new brew so far? I think that generally I, you know, I, I learned how to structure partnerships, right? I learned how to find the right people to make a project happen um, and how to work effectively with other human beings, like at a very basic level. Um, it, it was really my experience before Google actually uh, that was most formative or most uh, instructive in what I'm doing now with Nubrew, 
Um, I helped launch a product called Drip Drop, which is another CPG brand. It's a, a rehydration solution. Uh, this is like right when I got out of college and really like the way that I learned I had some business development and entrepreneurial chops uh, was with my experience at Drip Drop. The, the time in the tech world was like a bit of a deviation for me, honestly. I felt like very misaligned in that time working for such a big corporation and like kind of clocking in, clocking out, feeling a little dispassionate about what I was doing every day. I definitely picked up a lot of skills along the way and, you know, built a network and um, I'm very grateful for that experience. But the whole time I was working there, I, I felt like an entrepreneur who was like stuck as kind of a cog in a machine and I wanted to find a way out of it. Um, and honestly, it, it was the work that I did with psychedelics that that helped me come to the realization that I needed to get out of it. I needed to start something of my own um, and I needed to take some of the lessons that I had learned from plant medicines and apply them into an entrepreneurial endeavor. So that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, that's what laid the foundations for Nubru was almost uh, my dissatisfaction for, for what I was doing with Google. Right on. Yeah. I didn't know that key component actually about you. So part of the programming behind Micopreneur is specifically about talking about business strategy and acumen because you know, for a lot of the mushroom farmers, mycologists, entrepreneurs, mycopreneurs, that is a critical component that a lot of people are missing. They're great mycologists, they're great product formulators, but then actually being able to strategize, build relationships, build distribution networks, so on and so forth. That seems to be where a lot of people fall off. And you think about these conferences, like we met at Wonderland in Miami, and there's dozens, if not hundreds of booths of small businesses. And that is one of the bottlenecks that a lot of people face is, okay, we got this great product. We got great feedback. We're popular in our area. Now we want to expand. We want to start getting into stores. Can you shed a little bit of intel for us about some of the approaches you take to build your distribution network and to make sure that this awesome product that you've designed that you personally enjoy can reach a broader audience across Southern California and soon to be other states as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that the best thing that we've done with Nubrew is take a really hands-on approach um, rather than, for example, working with a distributor right out of the gate. Um, we spent a year just communicating directly with retailers. Like I was out doing sales myself, like man in a van, trunk full of new brew, going out and talking right at the point of sale, right? Communicating directly with the retailers, understanding like what are the questions they're asking? Like what are the, the key gaps in education that we need to fill in order to, to help these retailers gain a better understanding? Because ultimately they're the ones who are going to be having those conversations with customers, right? Like when someone comes in and asks, what the hell is Kratom, right? We need them to have a good answer, right? We need to make sure that they're not selling to the wrong types of people, um, so, you know, laying the foundations with that very like grassroots hands-on approach is the best way to start. Um, I think we have a product that has mass appeal, right? Like there are tons of retailers around the country who would be happy to carry it now, but we've taken a more patient approach, right? Like we want to build in a more organic fashion, let word of mouth take hold, um, and, you know, let people kind of find it on their own uh, versus signing on with another distributor in a second, third, fourth market and trying to approach national distribution just because we can. Uh, we want to make sure that, again, this is like slow, gradual, meaningful growth. I think that's what's going to be sustainable in the long run. 
Yeah, that's huge. And I think that the age of social media encourages people in some ways to move faster, bigger, compare yourself to these other brands that have been around for five or 10 years. It's something that I've noticed. And I am very intentionally trying to take this slow grassroots mycelial level approach to the way that I do podcasting and, and build the media platform. And quite frankly, I've had interest and have even been approached by some of these more niche beverage and bottling companies who say, hey, do you want to launch a cannabis beverage? You know, that's a pretty quickly growing market segment. And I've you know connected with a few people who have done that. And of course, it's interesting. I've kind of always had it in mind that at some point I might want to have a product and something I can get behind. And the way you're doing it, you know, being there on the ground, boots on the ground at the point of sale makes a lot of sense. Now, how do you reconcile that approach with the digital environment, right? And with all, all of these brands who are working with agencies and you've got your PR team dialed in and they seem to be quite different approaches or are they both part of a comprehensive strategy for slow and sustained growth? Yeah, you gotta be doing both, um, definitely. We've, it's, it's obviously, it's expensive to acquire customers online, right? We don't have the kind of budget where we can you know, spend 50 grand a month on digital advertising and just make sure we're getting in front of people. We have to be a little more creative than that. And a big part of that for us has been events, um, which is how you discover the product, right? Like making sure that we're showing up in the right places, like at conferences like Wonderland. We've done a ton of event sponsorships here in LA. Um, we've got a, an incredibly uh, powerful, small but powerful group of affiliate partners and influencers in our network, um, all of whom, can speak really intelligently uh, about the product and not just the product, but the reason that we created the product, right? They're, they're a part of our mission to reimagine the ceremony of drinking, like reimagine the social ritual we all partake in, right? Um, so they're, they're sort of, we have like our own boots on the ground. Um, and that has really helped us out quite a bit with online sales too, right? In the absence of like a robust marketing effort or marketing budget, um, we have people all over the country who are speaking about Nubru, who are having like full length actual conversations with people about it um, and making sure that they understand what it is before they consume it. Again, it's not like the kind of hockey stick growth that like we all dream of, um, but I think it's the right approach, especially with the type of product that we have here. Nubru is not for everyone, right? Like we're very careful um, to, you know, not just put disclosures on the can, but in our marketing messaging and you know, every point of contact that we have with the consumer that for one, if you're in hardcore substance abuse recovery, maybe steer clear of new group, right? If you're under the age of 21, definitely not for you. Um, it would be hard to get that message across if we were just pushing this out everywhere we could, right? So it's, it, it is another reason that we've taken the more slow patient approach here. Yeah, that's the best way to do it for my money. So I would love it if you could talk a little bit about an average day for you. I'm sure as the CEO of a quickly but sustainably growing beverage company that you've got all kinds of hats you have to wear. So what does an average Wednesday look like for you, Justin? Oh, man. I, every Wednesday is different, honestly. Um been doing a lot of travel. Um, we are looking to open up a couple of new markets. So the last few Wednesdays, I've definitely not been in LA or, or in the office. Um, you know, I've, I've got interviews scheduled, hiring people in Austin right now, which is going to be our next market. Um, we're checking in on our, our sales team here in LA, working really closely with our distributor. 
Um, you know, we do have our core internal teams. So like we have a series of team meetings and honestly, it's, it's hard to maintain structure when you're trying to do a thousand different things at once. When you have three people operating a, a company that's growing as fast as ours is. Um, so I'm just trying to keep it all together. If I'm being totally honest with you, like it, it's, it's hard to, to have predictability in the environment we're working with here. So you wake up, you see what's at, you know, what's ahead of you and you do your best to keep it all together. Yeah. I guess that's where having the right team comes in place and being able to delegate and to fully trust and that everybody's working independently, but synchronously a lot of the times, you know, uh, as a lean startup. Oh, to totally. And, and not, not just, not just having the right team, but also making sure that I'm taking care of myself, right? Like I'm waking up, I'm moving my body, I'm meditating, I'm, you know, staying tapped into myself because it, it can be really easy as an entrepreneur to let those things slide. And I, admittedly, I have during certain periods of time, right? And I'll end up suffering as a result. So it is uh, really like a, a mental health endeavor too, right? Like trying to balance uh, my personal life with my work life when, you know, when work is 24-7 and always on and there's always something else to do. Uh, becomes that much more important to make sure that you're taking care of yourself physically and mentally and spiritually. And, you know, you're engaging with your friends and you're showing up for people and um, all that stuff. It, it's taken a, a whole different level of attention than I've ever had to give it. Right. Like when I was working at Google, I would come home at like 6 p.m. and work was done. Right. Uh, it's not that way anymore. So, yeah, it's it's a, a very difficult exercise that like I'm still figuring out, if I'm being honest. Totally. Yeah. So I've run a company with my wife. We were doing a lot of videography and photography and we still do that as a side hustle. But there came a point after a couple of years in where we realized, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to clock out sometimes to to leave your office or your job or whatever on a Friday. And then you don't have to think about that until Monday. And as you know, well, and just stated as an entrepreneur, especially when you get some momentum going, you're spinning plates, right? You've got eight plates that need constant attention. And if something needs to get done at 10 PM on a Saturday night, like nobody else is going to do that. So I, I think that the entrepreneurial lifestyle is often portrayed as being very sexy, but that's because people very selectively showcase what it takes, right? It's like that, you know, you, you always hear about like the four hour work week and like, but <laughs> I remember thinking back when I had my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial aspirations to really start going after it in 2014 or 15. I was actually in New Zealand working at a green shell muscle factory. I did a working holiday visa and I was absolutely just working my tail off for 10 hours a day. And I thought if I had the discipline and the focus to do this on my own project, I would probably be able to really take off really quickly. But you know, you have to earn that and you have to learn how to do that because if you're an entrepreneur, you can tell, you can tell yourself part of the perk is you can say, I'm taking today off or I'm going to take a break, but that's not always conducive to a successful project, you know? So I think uh, that's something you have to really learn and earn is like that discipline and focus and then being able to delineate and to be able to actually uh, give yourself some separation, you know, and I think a lot of people who have their own businesses, it, it comes out in uh, potentially damaging a relationship, you know, where you're, you're focused so much on your work that you forget to make time for yourself or for your family or whatever. So yeah, just some top of mind thoughts I wanted to offer there. I'm sure you've been through that. Oh, absolutely. I'm right in the thick of it, man. <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's an everyday battle. Uh, but you know, the, the longer we go into it, I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit more on top of it. And, um, it's, it's all balance, right? It's like with anything else in life, you, you have to just think ahead, uh, plan things out and make sure you're carving out time for the things that really matter. Um, because ultimately you're right. Like the, the business itself is like a relationship. It's like its own marriage. Um, and you have to treat it that way, but you can't let everything else slide. Word. And one of the primary pieces of advice I've gotten from established entrepreneurs are, uh, cut, it's cut alcohol out. So many people will say like, yeah, it feels like it's helping, right? You can dissociate, you can go and normalize drinking and partying. But when you have all of these responsibilities and you're really passionate about making your project pop off, that could be one of the first things you should really analyze and scrutinize and think about cutting out. And that's something that you did successfully. You said it's been two years. I'd be curious to know how did your drive and focus and overall performance, both in your personal life and in your entrepreneurial journey, change for the better after you did cut out alcohol? Oh, man, it's night and day. I, I mean, none of this would be possible if I was still drinking, which is ironic, right? Because the company wouldn't exist if I didn't quit drinking, too. That's the whole reason that I created it. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I think that the way that I was drinking, um, I was operating at a deficit at all times, right? Like you said, once you hit 30 or around that, the hangovers are not just like the next morning. It's like a two, three day thing. It's a cyclical thing, right? Like, I don't think I was ever a hundred percent. So I would wake up feeling super exhausted. I would not be like giving the time and attention, uh, to my loved ones that I needed to be doing. I was not exercising because I just didn't feel good. Like, if you're putting a poison in your body, which is ultimately what alcohol is on a regular basis, you can't expect to be operating like anywhere near an optimal level. Um, of course, for me, I was doing that for such a long time that I just felt like that was my baseline. You know, I didn't know that I could feel much better than that. Um, and it, it took, once I quit drinking, it took probably six months before I really started feeling the benefits of it, to be honest. Um, it takes a long time for your body to adapt. And like, there was a, a difficult period of time where I was like, not regretting my decision to quit drinking, but it was like calling me back almost. Um, and there was a lot of like inner turmoil in that period of time. And it, it was about after six months that I started to set in and I credit uh, my work with psilocybin and microdosing uh, largely um, for, for helping me in that transition. Um, and, you know, after I hit that six month point, I started feeling better and better. I realized I was waking up with more energy that I could focus on things for longer periods of time. Like my attention span was infinitely better. I felt and have felt just a lot more grounded, more empathetic, more outside of myself. Like I'm not thinking about myself all the time and trying to solve for these self-created issues. Right. Um, I, I was able to start like really connecting with people in a meaningful way. For, you know, I, I think that when I was drinking it the way that I was, I felt like I was connecting with people, right. Because alcohol produces this artificial sense of connectedness. Cause you, when you drink with people, you talk a lot, right. If you go to a bar, everyone's talking nonstop you're kind of talking over each other, right? It's like a little bit superficial. Um, and I had been doing that for so long that that's what I thought of as a social life, right? Like I, I and I, I think that uh, even some of like the circles of people I was hanging out with, 
I didn't know, like, I didn't really know them. Um, and so when I left alcohol behind that, that all came crashing down and I was sort of like starting from scratch. And, uh, over the last couple of years, I've been like connecting to the person who I really am. Um, and again, I, I could not be doing that, uh, without psychedelics, like the work that I've done with psilocybin, uh, with ketamine therapy, um, the ayahuasca retreats that I've done, it's all, um, been so transformative and helpful and in, in connecting more deeply into myself and, and starting over in a way. Yeah. I had that rude awakening a year or two ago when I first worked on cutting out alcohol and I realized there were people in my life that I only called to go drinking. Right. And I'm like, Hey, I want to hit this person up, but I actually don't know how to relate to them unless we're going to the local dive bar or whatever. That's just kind of, that's my drinking buddy. And I, you know, once you start to have that awakening, you think, maybe I don't need this particular relationship right now. You know, maybe there's somebody else who I should be calling that is going to push me in some ways rather than, uh, you know, to dissociate and to go and, and binge drink at the dive bar, which again, unfortunately has been highly normalized in American culture for many years. It's the, the happy hour, right? After work you go and this is what we do. And I think a lot of people go through this when you do work on cutting out drinking, where you kind of have to rebalance your social life and you have to find new people and new groups. And yeah, that's a, a journey I think a lot of people are undergoing right now. So in that regard, when people start to adopt new brew or they start to look at these other different rituals that they can replace drinking alcohol with and still be social and still go out, I'd be curious if you could describe some of the transformations that you've seen in your community, like for people who are embracing this California sober lifestyle, what are the types of events that new brew has been sponsoring the type of events that, and, and you know, the type of community that is, is adopting new brew and, you know, just more generally a more plant-based social ritual, as opposed to the, the tried and true alcohol driven function. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been, so pleasantly surprised to see uh, a, an incredibly wide variety of people trying out new brew. I think, you know, when we launched in the early going, like we've, we've done a lot of work in the psychedelic space um, and in circles of people who are really accustomed to like integrating plant medicines into their, their daily life. Right. Um, but it turns out, you know, we have like soccer moms buying new brew. We have people who, are in the MMA world uh, buying new brew. We have every type of person you could think, not just buying it, but sending us like incredible testimonials and letting us know that it's like changed their life. Um, it seems like there's truly a mass movement away from alcohol that's not specific to any demographic or any type of person. Um, and it's ultimately, I think, a really beautiful thing to see. Um, you know, generally speaking, I think what new brew is, is it's a viable alternative, right? It's a, it allows people to go out and do the things they would normally do when they were drinking alcohol without feeling like they're sacrificing anything, right? They can go out, they can be social, they can feel a little like loose and disinhibited and, and have an awesome time. And they can have like a delicious drink in their hands that provides those effects, but they don't have to wake up feeling like shit the next day. Um, they don't have to, be, you know, drinking three, four, five, six, ten beers, right? Like you have one or two new brews and, and you're good. Um, so it, it's, it, it allows for like a, a sense of freedom, I think, for a lot of people. 
Um, it's we've, you know, for a lot of people, we've opened up a world where it's not so much that, you know, if you quit drinking, you have to just stay home. You, you can go and do all the things that you want to do and still feel that like open heartedness and that sense of like levity, uh, that you, you try to get out of alcohol, but without a lot of the negative side effects. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I think the, the community we've built is, is growing bigger every day. And like it, my favorite part of this whole thing is getting that feedback from people, like uh, seeing people start to walk that path with us is awesome. Totally. And it pairs really well with ecstatic dancing or freeform dancing, which is the ephemera collective <laughs> event that New Brew sponsored, where I first was able to imbibe a few of the beverages and to meet you for the first time. Now, you have a little preface on the website that says that you should drink slowly if you're new to New Brew, right? If it's your first time ingesting kava and kratom, drink it slowly. And I'm a big advocate, as I often say on the program, start low and go slow whenever you're trying something and you're seeing how your body responds to it. So what are some of the different... Uh, what kind of intake of new brew do you see with people? Like, I'm not going to imagine that you're going to be out there advocating that people crush a six pack the first night they go out. But like, do you drink one or two on a daily basis? Or what does that sort of intake look like for you? Yeah, um, for me? Yeah, I, I think one or two is good. Uh, I'm careful to not drink it every day, just because I don't want to build a tolerance. I'm, I do the same thing with with anything else that I consume always like cycle on and off of it, um, take at least one or two days off per week. Um, but it is something that I'm using uh, more days than I'm not using it, right? Like it's an effective, not just alcohol replacement, but productivity tool. Um, this is more than anything for me, like an afternoon pick me up that I'll drink around two or 3 p.m., like maybe five days a week. Um, and it helps me sort of like bridge the day to the night instead of drinking a bunch of caffeine or, or coffee, like at 3 p.m., I'll drink a new brew and it helps me uh, sort of dial into a flow state where I can accomplish all the things I have left on my plate for the day. Maybe segment, segue me into an awesome workout. It's a great pre-workout as well. Um, so it's a, it's a really effective afternoon beverage. Um, I would advise people to, yeah, stick to one or two. I think definitely sip slowly to assess your tolerance. We've, we've dosed this really low in a way where I don't, most people are not going to get overwhelmed by one can. In fact, uh, people who have experience with these plants might even want to drink a second can. Um, you know, the truth is that this, these plants, as with any other plant medicines, interact with everyone's biochemistry very differently, right? Like some people will feel the kava a little more and feel a little more chilled out. Others will feel the kratom a little bit more and, and be more focused and more of a productivity state. So, you kind of have to try it for yourself. Um, and again, like maybe just drink half the can, see how you feel, and then drink the other half if you're feeling great uh, and take it from there. But yeah, people have to figure it out for themselves. And it's, it's always good to start slow. You can always uh, drink more, but you can't undrink it. So keep that in mind. Again, just to compare to alcohol again, it's just so normalized to drink six drinks in a night for a lot of people, right? And a lot of bars and restaurants, their business model business model relies upon getting people to drink a lot. So any way you slice it, one or two or three new brews is probably going to be a much safer alternative to going out and drinking six beers or 10 drinks or whatever it is for a lot of people. So yeah, oh, totally. And, you, and, and you're not, it, it's, it is diminishing returns, by the way, like you don't just feel better and better and better if you drink like three, four or five new brews. 
Uh, it's not like alcohol in that way where you just want to keep consuming more and more. Um, usually like having one or two and then just having water the rest of the night. Or for me, like I'll have a non-alcoholic beer because I love the taste of beer. Um, that's, that's generally how I handle it. Yo, so of course on the program, we talk a lot about psychedelics and you've mentioned you're psychedelic inclined or an advocate who has benefited tremendously from your experiences with mushrooms and with cannabis, et cetera. I'd be curious, what are some of the principles or some of the takeaways from some of these experiences you've had, experiences that you've had, that you've applied towards your strategy with new brew you know quite a few people we have on the program will say that the business they run is directly informed from their mushroom experiences and you mentioned you saw that you were not super aligned with the behemoth corporate structure you were working under so that's one obvious takeaway but what are some of the other experiences or lessons that you've learned that you've applied to what you're doing right now with new brew mm. yeah well i think that psychedelics really taught me um, to they taught me to see the inner child and in other people and like to really be patient and empathetic with people which ultimately business is just dealing with other human beings right and like connecting with other people uh, understanding their motivations understanding their fears um, it's a human to human thing right and i think those are the lessons that i took away from psychedelics um, that have made me more patient with other people, right? Like that have made me um, less egoic, I think, like less caught up in my own mind. Um, I think that I'm able to sit across from someone um, and understand them uh, at a much deeper level than I was before, which again, like that, that's all this is. Like I'm just talking to people all day. That's what business is. It's, it's not super complicated. Um, so yeah, the, I think that, that that was my main takeaway from from all those experiences is like to look someone in the eyes and just see them as like a fellow human um, who's trying to get done whatever they're trying to get done. And uh, you can find so much more easily find uh, synergies or, or, you know, opportunities to collaborate with people when you're just viewing them as a fellow human rather than someone like you can get something from. Um, and that's, I think the beauty of psychedelics, right? It, like it creates a more even playing field. Man, you're such an inspirational, motivational speaker. That was such a beautiful and eloquent sound clip to pull from right there. So cheers for that. Yeah. I suppose, <laughs> uh, in my own experiences, I, I keep having to reprioritize and learn that play is very important and that fun is very important. I think there's this idea in the business world that you need to be all business and all serious. And I think that those don't need to be mutually exclusive, that you can actually be a really fun person, you can have a fun work culture, and that can be conducive overall to your growth as a business, right? And uh, that's one of the things psychedelics have taught me over the years in Mushrooms is to not be so laser focused on bottom line economic growth and think more comprehensively about the community you're steward over, stewarding over and what you're contributing, right? As opposed to, as you say, like taking, like what can I take? How can I extract value from this community or situation? I think that we're starting to see a shift in how people approach things where they wanna be more collaborative as opposed to competitive. That's one of the things I love about the mushroom community is you get a lot of people who want to help others and they want to be an open book, right? So somebody comes up with a new 
innovation and mushrooms, a lot of times they want to share that, you know, they want to make a YouTube video saying, Hey, this is how I did it as opposed to trade secrets and patenting. Obviously that's not universal. There's plenty of people and companies that are going to take the latter route, but it's something that I'm optimistic about that there can be more collaboration over everybody viewing each other as competition all the time. So I guess it's that abundance. Absolutely. Light. Yeah. And I, I'm, I really hope that the psychedelics, the world of psychedelics remains true to those tenants, right? As it grows into a real industry, right? Um, I, it's, it's something that like, I think strikes fear in a lot of psychonauts and people in the space, right? Is that this is going to become uh, that capitalism will, will sink its claws into this and make it something that it's, it's really not. Um, so I'm, I've, I've loved meeting people like you um, who have that kind of ethos, right? And approach this from a totally collaborative viewpoint. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that it can remain that way. I think so too. So thank you for that validation. I appreciate that. So I'm curious, like what gets you really excited thinking about the future with new brew and just about the space you're in, in general, right? Obviously you're expanding. There's a lot to be excited about. You've got a couple other markets you're opening, but like thinking forward a couple years, what gets you really, really excited and keeps you focused on this mission, despite all of the challenges and all of the adversity you might have to face along the way? Yeah, um, you know, we're on a mission, like I, I think I mentioned before, to reimagine the way that people share drinks and the way that people commune more generally, right? Um, alcohol has had such a stranglehold over this ceremony uh, for a really long time in our culture. And not only is it bad for people to drink as much alcohol as they do, um, but it, it sort of, it leads to a very strange vibe, like in, in the environments that people are all consuming alcohol, right? Like, you know, when you go into a bar, it's very like loud and boisterous. And, you know, again, people are, are connecting at, I think more of a super superficial level. Um, I think we're heading into a time now where people are going to be, uh, you know, not just imbibing with other tools like new brew or psilocybin or, you know, whatever other products are going to come out in the future. Um, but connecting in a, a different way, like having a, a little bit of more of a mellow hang, uh, you know, and the spaces that people are going to create to, to foster those kind of connections. Like I, I think that the way people are going to come together is going to look super different in five, 10 years than it does now where you feel like you kind of have to go out to a bar or a club to go hang out with people. Um, and I'm just, I'm super excited to be a part of that movement and to see all the, the beautiful innovation that's being, being built around it. Yeah. That's been a big game changer for me, uh, revisiting sleep patterns and, and getting back to being well rested when I wake up on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Right. I think that was probably the last straw for me. I'm fortunate in that I didn't have what I would consider to be like, you know, reckless alcohol consumption. I definitely have drank a lot and occasionally still do drink, but this sense of returning to waking up very refreshed, like that became unfamiliar when I was in my mid twenties. Like I just kind of wrote off Saturday, you know, and I think a lot of people do that because again, it's just heavily normalized. It's like, yeah, party all night, have a great time. And then boom, your weekend's gone and you're probably not even feeling a hundred percent on Monday or Tuesday or whatever it is. And really to, to get a more restorative and, and truly restful night's sleep, it's hard to ever justify going back to partying and sacrificing that. Right. So that's something that was transformative in my own life. Right. Just to figure like, wow, I feel really good. And it's 8am or 730am on a Saturday morning. What do I do with all this time and energy? So, yeah. So I, <laughs> 
Yeah, I would be curious if you could just maybe we can round out the discourse here by you sharing a little bit about some of the ongoing projects you're involved with and some of the exciting opportunities and projects on the horizon for 2024 with New Brew. Yeah. So we're actively expanding into other markets. You know, we launched here in our home of Los Angeles. Um, we're in about 400 stores here locally, which is awesome. Um, it's definitely, we've got a good foothold here. Um, Austin, Texas is our next one. So we're super excited to be getting out there now. I think we just opened up our first 10 stores down there. Um, Florida will be after that. So, you know, people will start seeing us in, in retail environments and liquor stores, like right next to alcohol, right? Like directly competing with it. Uh, all around the country, which I'm super excited about. Um, of course, the product is also available online for anyone to purchase on our website. Um, and, you know, we're, we're working on some really exciting collaborations uh, with influencers and affiliates. We just brought UFC fighter Max Holloway into our network. He's sort of like our key brand ambassador. Um, and you're going to start seeing Nubru a lot more in the sports world, like starting with MMA. Um, we have a ton of athletes that we're starting to work with who you know, don't have time to be hungover, right? So they're building new brew into their lifestyle, uh, both as a pre-workout and as a way to unwind. Um, so yeah, just a lot of really exciting collaborations and partnerships coming up, uh, some of which I can't talk about yet, but um, you'll be seeing us around. Our our little startup is, is uh, growing real quick. Awesome. And I've got a case on the way myself. So I'm very much looking forward to imbibing Justin Wolf, co-founder and CEO of New Brew. Thanks a lot for joining us today. And I really appreciate the dialogue that we just had. And I'm looking forward to following the trajectory of the company over the next year and on into the future. Awesome. It was great to connect with you, Dennis. I appreciate you having me on, man, and uh, excited for the next chat. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.